Rows of share and showing how to grow in beauty in God's sight. Fairest of ten thousand, make me a reflection of your light. I know you'd rather hear them sing than me talk. 
I get it. I would too. Good job, guys. It was beautiful. Amen. Aren't we fortunate to have that? Amen. You know, and they don't do it just because they get paid the big bucks. Well, this morning, I want to take a short break on what we've been talking about when it comes to First Peter. I want to talk about something that's coming up very closely, very nearly, and it's very important to us, and that is the election. I'm going to talk about politics today. Now, some may say, should I do that? Well, according to various scriptures, we should be concerned about our government, and we should be involved in it. Romans chapter 13, verses 1 and 2. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. God establishes the governments of this earth, and we're expected to be subject unto them. Now, that doesn't say that we are to put them before our God, but we are certainly to live under the authority of our governments that God has established because He has established them. Romans chapter 13, verse 6 and 7, This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Titus chapter 3, verse 1, Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to, do, to be ready to do whatever is good. We are to be good citizens of this world, whether we like it or not. (laughs) We are to represent our godly values in our world and in our political culture. Now, this doesn't say that we're to put those kingdoms first, clearly, as we've already said, but it's saying that while we are on this earth, God has established the earthly kingdoms and the authorities and the governments, and we are to be part of it, but not be controlled by it. So what I'm going to talk today is about the rights and the responsibilities that we have and the freedom by exercising our vote. But before you vote, (laughs) it's vital that you understand how important it is that you know and you agree with the moral and ethical values of the party that you're lining up with and supporting. This is not a time to vote your party because you've always voted your party in the past. If you don't know what your party represents, or if you don't know the platform of your party, this is the most important election this country has ever had. Amen. It is the most important one. This election is going to dictate your children and your grandchildren's futures. And it could be very, very bad if we don't elect the right party. Now, as difficult as it may be, I'm asking you today to look past the personality of the ones that are running. (laughs) This is not about Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton. Look past the personalities of the people. And you must look beyond that and look into the party's platforms as to what the platforms represent. Because that is very, 
important. You have to recognize that the people are going to be people, but the platforms are going to, are going to be what really matters. Now, I can say honestly that I don't like either one, personally. I do not like the personality of either one running, but that doesn't dictate who I vote for. It's not a popularity contest. We have to recognize that. We have to make this election much more about their moral and ethical backgrounds, not them personally, but what does the party that they represent reflect? Recognize this morning that this president that we, nominate, that we elect will have the ability to nominate one, maybe three, maybe more Supreme Court justices while they're in office. That is really important because the Supreme Court is the major seat that dictates how our Constitution is defined or redefined. And if we, make, if we don't look at that as being of primary importance, we're missing the whole point of this election. Right now, we have the Supreme Court that has ruled to this date We've already murdered 60 million babies because of Roe versus Wade that was passed in 1973. 60 million innocent babies are in heaven today. Amen. That's, we can celebrate that, but we can't celebrate for the people that have killed them. We've got to say it that way it is. They've killed these babies. Yeah, it's murder. As of last July, our national government through the Supreme Court has recognized now the marriage of same-sex people, an abomination unto God that we will recognize and that we will give a same-sex couple the same rights and privileges of a man and a woman marriage covenant. Yeah, we need to recognize these are real issues. And this does not give us a right to get angry and to get mean, and to unlove people. But we have to look at the issues. We have to recognize that one party is voting to protect Roe versus Wade and continue to even expand it. One party is vowing to overturn it. One party is vowing to expand the area of same-sex relationships and marriage. One party is vowing to Overturn that. So today, you must recognize your influence. Now, you might say, well, I only have one vote out of millions, and my vote really doesn't matter. Well, I want to, today, I want to extend to you the comment, and I want to stress the point that what you vote for has eternal significance for you personally. I would title this message this morning, your vote counts eternally. Your vote counts eternally. Whether your vote is the one that's going to sway the national election or not is irrelevant. But the way you line up with the parties that you agree with, understand that God will look at that as your heart's intent and your vote will line up with you either for God or against God basically based upon our position on these two issues, abortion and same-sex marriage. So today you may say, well, I only have one vote. It doesn't make any sense. Well, go back and review 
what you're accountable to. Go back and review the parable of the bags of gold that Jesus spoke about in Matthew chapter 25. He gave three people three different things. He rewarded them according to what they were given. He gave one person five bags, another two bags, another one bag. And then he went away for a period of time. And then when the master came back, he examined what each person did with their bag. He rewarded each person accordingly. The, the one that he gave five bags, he brought five more bags. The one he gave two bags, he brought two more bags. The one he gave one bag, the man only came back with one bag. And he didn't multiply it. He wasn't a good steward of what God had given him or what the master had given him. And this is the result of what that performance was or his activity. If you look at Matthew 25, verse 28 and 30, this is what the master said to the servant that only had one bag and he only brought one bag back. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will, who, for whoever has will be given more and they will have in abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now you may ask me, what does that parable have with voting in an election? for local and national leaders. Well, the concept of accountability runs deep and consistent in God's word. And he is a just judge, and he cannot and will not allow any injustice into his eternal kingdom. That's why he looks at the heart of the man, not necessarily on the outside of the man, to make his judgments based on the intent of the, of the man's heart. So here you had a man that had five bags, multiplied it five more, two bags, two more, one bag, one more. The issue is, the accountability here is that he didn't reward the man that only brought back two bags differently than he rewarded the man that brought back five bags. It's not about how much you bring back, it's how much you were given and what you do with what you're given. So one vote counts. Whether you are responsible over millions of people or responsible for you, your vote for what you do counts as much as for what the guy did that has a million people that he influences. So don't think your vote doesn't count. Like that one man, or that bag, that man had one bag, thinking, oh, it doesn't really count. It counted because when he wasn't faithful with what he did, he was thrown outside in the darkness where there would be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You're highly accountable for what you have. And you have a vote. Therefore, you will be accountable for that vote. Proverbs 16, 2. All a person's ways seem pure to them, but motives are weighed by the Lord. The motives of the heart is what God sees. 1 Corinthians 4, 1 through 5. This then is how you ought to regard us as servants of Christ and of those entrusted with the mysteries of God has revealed. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. Paul continues, I care very little if I'm judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, and, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes, and this is the key. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. See, God will hold each person accountable to the motive of their heart, whether you're the president of the United States and has immense power over millions and billions of people over the world, or you are the lowest of the voting ranks and have only the power to influence yourself, you're held accountable to the motives of your heart. 
That's why it's so important that everyone first must vote, and then secondly, you must understand to the best you can what you're voting for. Ignorance is not bliss now. This is where you must understand to the best of your ability what your vote says and who you're voting for. Does that make any sense? Am I, people, are you tracking with me? Have I lost anybody yet? So how do you vote? Well, I'm not going to tell you today who to vote for or how to vote necessarily, but I'm trying to do my best to educate us on some really important issues that are weighing in the balance here of our nation and how we personally, how we will be held accountable before God on your vote and how you respond to this. Your vote is critical to you personally. You may not think it's critical to the nation. And maybe on a scale of everything, it may not be to the nation, but it is critical to you. And that's why I want you to understand the significance of why you must understand what you vote for. Now, there's, with this said, there are many things in the political agendas here that, we're gonna, that are very debatable topics, right? If you look at the stance of, on, on, and, and all the strong arguments for everything that all the political or the both political parties are, are standing for, many of these I can agree with you that we can agree to disagree on. We can, we can take some really different stances on the economics. What is the best plan forward to rebuild a staggering economy? You can have one thought, I can have another. What is the way, what education, what is the best way to educate our children from elementary school all the way up through college and post degrees? What is the best way to do criminal justice reform? What is the best way to deal with our criminal justice system? The environment, is there really climate change happening or not? How do we deal with the concerns of our environment? What about firearms, the right to bear arms and our own ammunition? How do we regulate or register guns? What about the citizens' rights to defend themselves? What about foreign policy? What is the best policy to move forward regarding the role of America on the global issues? Are we really the policemen for the world, the America, are we? What about health care? Is it the government's role and responsibility to mandate health insurance programs that would control and control such within our lives? What about immigration? How open and restricted should our borders be? Can current legal illegal aliens become legal without having to abide by the terms of, that others coming in rightly should have to abide by? What about the job and the labor market? Should we have a minimum wage set by the federal government or should it be set by the state? And if so, what should it be? What about taxes? Should there be a ta massive tax reform? Should the IRS be strengthened in its tax responsibilities and enforcement, or should it be eliminated in favor of a flat tax? What about the trade? What about our, should our country's strategy be in, in regards to trading with foreign countries and businesses thereof? How do we protect our jobs in our country? See, these are all important de deals, and they're all on the agendas. These are all on the platforms of our Republican, Democratic, National, or Independent, or Green Party. These are all there. These are all important issues. They must be addressed. But what I find so interesting about these issues is that there are very, very smart people, educated on both sides, that can have very heated debates as to which is the right way to go in each one of these issues. Economics is one of those things that, man, you can go many, many places with this. You can go many areas of, of levels of agreement or disagreement. And here's the thing that's so important. I think that you and I and any Christian brother or sister, we can have very significant differences of opinions on all these issues and still be brothers and sisters in Christ. 
This, none of these issues would, de- would declare a moral or an ethical failure if we take one over the other. Now, you may have some issues with that statement. But the fact of the matter is we can agree to disagree on many things. But there are some things here this morning that we cannot agree to disagree on. And I've already mentioned them. The two things are abortion and same-sex marriages. So let's talk about this for a minute. And let's talk about how, where we stand on these two issues so that we can stand against the politically correct environment that we're in today to stand on God's side. I will tell you right now that God is neither Republican nor Democrat. So I'm not indicating that God's a Republican or, or Democrat. All I'm saying is that God has a very significant set of standards that we must follow. These two issues of abortion and same-sex marriage are really moral and ethical issues that make them different than any of the other issues that we just listed. And they're different because they must, your perspective of these must line up with God's word. These are moral and ethical. What's the difference? What's the definition of moral and ethical? Moral is, it's an involving a right and wrong, or it's able to tell right from wrong standards of behavior based on a standard of justice. Ethical is conforming to accepted standards based upon moral standards. The problem here is that our culture, our society is moving from absolute morals and absolute ethics to relative morals and relative ethics. A basic definition of an absolute morality is that there is some set of moral rules which are absolute and universal. They do not bend with time. They do not change with a a politically correct statement. A relative morality takes the stance and says that morals are are irrelative. They are not absolute. They are dependent upon the situation. Totally different. Black and white. There is no commonality between an absolute morality and a relative morality. One commentary on this says that without, without an absolute standard, let me read this again, without an absolute standard, morality would be relative and dependent on each individual. But morality is not a human invention. It flows from the nature of God, who is eternal and unchanging. Therefore, as much as we may want to, we cannot determine what is right and wrong on our own. Our Creator, the source of all truth, has revealed what we need to know of right and wrong in His Word. So as a true follower of Christ, our moral standards must line up with God's moral standards if we're going to be right in His sight. All right. So now that we've established the source of morality and ethics from God's Word alone and not man's, which you recognize that man's is a twisted viewpoint of Satan's that we've just bought into. Let's look at abortion and marriage and see what God really says about them so that you know that this is really godly perspectives, not just man's ideas. Let's look at abortion first. What does God think about aborting an unborn child? What does God think about aborting an unborn child? First of all, what does God think about the unborn? Jeremiah 1.5 Jeremiah, verse, chapter 1, verse 5, Before, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. This is very clear here that God is declaring in this passage that God knew the prophet Jeremiah while he was 
before he was even born, before he was even in the womb, he had a plan for his life. God forms the unborn and establishes the plan of living all the way to the end of their life prior to their birth. Therefore, the unborn is precious in the sight of God. And he's, valuable. he's as valuable in the womb as he is on the last day of his life. There is no changing of the value of life with God, basically, whether before they're born or after they're born. The same value is given. God loves them all. How, how can a baby be thought of anything other than a baby? That somehow the baby isn't really a baby until it is out of the womb. I don't understand that. And neither could the psalmist. Psalm chapter 139, verses 13 through 16. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How can we read that in any other way and not see God's active and purposeful formation in the unborn? See, if God sees the unborn as a real person with a real life ahead of them, then what does he think about protecting them? What does God think about protecting the unborn? Genesis chapter 9, verses 5 through 7. This is an International Children's Bible translation, actually, because it really was a good translation. It says, I will demand your blood for your lives. That is, I will demand the life of of any animal that kills a person. And I will demand the life of anyone who takes another person's life. God's saying this. Whoever kills a human being will be killed by a human being. This is because God made humans in his own image. Noah, I want you and your family to have many children. Grow in number on the earth and become many. The message of God's word is very clear from these passages and many others that God protects the sanctity of life, that God holds the unborn as special, innocent, and with a life planned out well in advance of their birth, and that they are worth protecting and not harming in any way. Unborn babies are precious in the sight of God. This indicates that babies are considered to be babies in a womb and they're considered to be as human as a full-grown adult. For the Christian, this is it. For you and I, for a Christian person, abortion is not a matter of a woman's right to choose. It is a matter of the life or death of a human being made in the image of God. So the point today for us when it comes to voting for our leaders of our government when it comes to abortion Do they hold the same belief and conviction of God's word? Does the party platform that you support and the one you're going to vote for, do they support abortion? Now let me just pause here and say something because if there's one here this morning that has had an abortion, understand that God's forgiveness is greater than any sin. This is not a condemnation of those that have made a mistake in the past. You can, though, go to God their Father and say, Jesus, I am so sorry. I really didn't know what I was doing. Forgive me of my sin for aborting that child. 
And you know that the Lord will forgive you and will make you perfectly whole once again. And let me give you some really, really, really good news. You're going to see that baby in heaven. So it's not done. It's not over. If you've made the mistake, if you've clarified, if you go to the Lord and say, I'm sorry, he will be faithful and just to forgive you of all that, and he will restore that relationship for you and that baby forever and ever and ever. And that's good news. That's the good news of the gospel, people. That's the good news. That's how powerful our God is. So this is not in any way, shape, or form to make anyone feel guilty for a past choice. What it is is to get us relevant today so that we move forward properly and we take the proper stance according to God's word. Amen? All right. Let's talk about marriage for a minute. Let's talk about marriage between a man and a woman as opposed to divorce. I don't want to get, this is not marriage to divorcing. This isn't the marriage and divorce rule that we're talking about now. This is talking about the sexes of who marries together, all right? A married mom or a married husband and wife are, is what we're talking about versus a married Bill and Joe or Shirley and Lisa, okay? So we're talking about that. What does God's word say about marriage between the sexes, first of all, that he created? It could go even beyond, basically people are confused about who, what sex they are. Well, let me tell you right now, God created your sex. He created you, he created you and your gender, and he didn't make a mistake. God never makes mistakes. Okay? So he created you boy, he created you girl, and that's what you should stay. All right? Let's just recognize that he didn't make a mistake here. Go back to Genesis chapter 2, start at verse 18. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was his name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the ribs, one of the man's ribs, and then closed up the, the, up the place of the flesh, with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to him. And the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man." Verse 24, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Adam and Eve, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. God created woman out of the flesh of a man for the specific purpose of being a helper and a mate. Now I got to tell you, I found a little something a little comical here. It's interesting that God gave man the responsibility to name all the animals before he ever created the woman. Because he knew that if a husband and wife were going to try to figure it out, they would never agree. <laughs> so he said, guys, get the job done before I bring her in. <laughs> well, think about it. <laughs> all right, let's move on. <laughs> So how did God create men and women? Genesis 1.27 So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God he created them. Male 
and female, he created them. <laughs> he created them. And then verse 28, why did he create them? God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every other living creature that moves on the ground that Adam already named. No, I didn't, I, he didn't say that. But, but he made them man and woman for the specific purpose of procreating on earth and to fill the earth with babies. That's what he did. God created man and woman, male and female, as two distinct sexes, yet with so much in common that Adam had to declare, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. He couldn't see, her, he couldn't see how insignificant that was and how much they had in common, but yet how so different they were because they had a very different perspective and a responsibility in the, in the sanctity of marriage. What was Jesus' perspective of marriage? Well, Jesus was asked a question about marriage. This was actually talking about the question to, of divorce to test Jesus. But first, Jesus first made the statement that God created men and women for the purpose of marriage. Matthew chapter 19, verses 4 through 6, chapter 19 of Matthew. Haven't you read, Jesus said, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female? Again, no mistakes. And he said, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. God created us very distinctly with a very important task, and that is to reproduce and fill the earth. Now, do you think that if God had or wanted it any other way, that he would have created a way for Joe and Bill to make babies. If he wanted it any other way, he would have created it that way. Don't you think that if everyone wanted to be different, he would have created a different way that would have been right? But Joe and Bill can't make babies. Neither can Sally and Lisa. Why is it that men always think they can figure out a better way than God's? Why is it that we think that we can do that? Not just for this situation, but for any other thing in our life. When God says something in his word, why don't we just take it for what it means? Why do we think we can figure out a better way? See, if God has, has planned that men are to marry women, then why do we feel we should try to figure it out differently? Now, is it okay then for men to have sexual relationships with other men? Forget the procreation part, okay? Forget that. Is it okay? Well, Romans chapter 1 verse 24 through 27. Therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who was forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to their shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, men were also abandoned in their natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in, in themselves a due penalty for their error. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 10. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. 
I'll come back to that. It's a major point here, but I'll come back to that in a minute. First Timothy chapter 1, verses 9 through 10. We also know that the law is made not for the righteous, but for lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly and the sinful, the unholy and the irreligious, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral, for those practicing homosexuality, for slave traders and liars and perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to the sound doctrine. What I want you to see here, God clearly states homosexuality is a sin. That men cannot lie with other men, women cannot lie with other women, and be under the God's protection, cannot be right for God. But, I, but, I, but I, what you also must understand is that all sexual immorality is wrong. Even men that lie with women out of wedlock is just as wrong as homosexuality. So this is, this is not targeting homosexuals as being differently or wrong, more wrong than anybody else that is a thief, an idolater, a sexual immoral person or anybody else. We have to get out of this mindset that this is a worse sin or a different sin than lying. A liar will have the same fate as a homosexual. And at the same time, we can't give homosexuality a different position to make laws around it that would be different than a liar. If you perjure yourself in the court of law, well, all besides Hillary. No, I didn't say that. If you perjure yourself in a court of law, you will be persecuted as perjury and you will go to jail. I don't see anybody saying, let's make a bill of rights that perjurers don't have to be punished. But yet we can have a bill of rights that says, let's let homosexuals have relationships and marriage and be the same rights as married people. Somehow our government, our society, is saying that this is a different sin than this other sin and they don't have a problem with that and then they call us people that are homophobes because we're declaring homosexuality is a sin but we're also declaring lying is a sin and any other sexual imp impurity is a sin so let's not try to make them different because they're the same they're the same all of these or any of these will keep a person out of heaven and into hell. So with all this said, what does this have to do with your vote on Tuesday? See, the Christian, the true, the true follower of Christ, has a moral responsibility to the world we live in to honor and promote the truth and love of God. That's your responsibility as a Christian. You have a moral authority. You have a moral responsibility to support God's word in our political agenda, no matter if it makes you politically incorrect or not. And this is not a message of anger or violence. This is not an anger that we are to hate people that are sinners. No, I don't hate a liar, and I don't hate a homosexual. I don't hate them. I, I love them the same. I have no reason to hate one versus not hating the other. Let's not go there. So we're going to conclude this, and Jackie, you don't even need to come up, because we're just going to conclude this, and we're going to say a couple things. That you personally, this is the most important thing I want you to get out of this today, is that you personally will be held accountable for what you can control and only what you can control. You're not going to be held accountable for what somebody else does, but you are going to be held accountable for what you do. What you are accountable for is your vote. If you join your vote with the others that support abortion and same-sex marriage, then you're choosing to support their cause 
over the cause of God and everything God's word declares. Do you understand how serious it is that you understand the platform of your party? That if you join and you, you vote with the party that is against God's word, that means you personally are going to be held accountable by God as to how you are then are on that issue. Very important. And don't let the personalities of the people running distract you from that point. All this is put on the personalities of Donald Trump or Hillary. And, and I'll tell you, Donald's not a good guy, but I don't care about that. People have been said, well, aren't you afraid of what he might do? Well, I'm more afraid of what the other party said they're going to do. And they've already said that they are going to extend and expand abortion and same-sex marriage. I'm more afraid of that than what I'm afraid of what he might do. You may ask, how would voting for the party that promotes abortion or same-sex be a sin? How would that be a sin? James 4, 17. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is a sin for them. You know what that's called? The sin of omission. You know what's right to do and you don't do it. That's as much of a sin as doing something that you do that you shouldn't do and you know it. This is a sin of omission. Knowing what is right to do and not doing it. Leviticus chapter 5, verse 1. If anyone sins because they do not speak up when they hear a public charge to testify regarding something they have seen or learned about, they will be held responsible. Did you hear that? If anyone sins because they do not speak up when they hear about a public charge, when you hear about a political agenda that's going contrary to God's word and you purposely join with it, that's a sin in the eyes of God. I think the message is really clear this morning that before you go to the voting booth and place your vote with the party and the candidate that you choose, you better understand what they stand for and what you're aligning yourself with. And I'll tell you again that there is no such thing as a perfect party. But between the choices we have, there is one that is much more aligned with Christian viewpoints than the other. And I beg you for your own eternal life to understand which one it is and then cast your vote appropriately. Most importantly thing is that this vote isn't just casting it for this election. It's what comes out of it for your children and your grandchildren and for you personally as you are identifying with a particular party. Do you understand do you understand your party's platforms? Do you even know what they are? I'll tell you what, the parties have changed over the years. Maybe you were a Democrat 30, 40 years ago or a Republican 30, 40 years ago. But do you know what they stand for today? You should, you better, I urge you to learn about them. Now I have, I have some sheets here, they're in the back, that as of 2016, this is the Republican platform and it has a Democratic platform. It has all the issues listed out. It has abortion, criminal justice, education, all the ones that I listed off before. They're all there. I would urge you to pick up. They're back on that back table back there. I didn't give them to you before the message because I knew you'd be reading it. <laughs> so pick it up now. You can read it over lunch. We're having a next door. And any time, but between now and Tuesday, read what your party stands for. 
and then vote your conscience about what it says about God's word. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. And Lord, I pray that this message and every message like this that's being preached from every pulpit around this country is received in the right light. That this is not an anger message. This is not a message of, of anything besides just declaring what your word says about the political world that we're in today. That we would see your perspective and that you would look down and say, yes, that's the way I would like you to vote on those issues. I pray, Father, for that. Now, I pray for our, our leaders. I pray right now for Donald Trump and for Hillary Clinton. I pray, Jesus, that, that both of them, neither one of them, are, are outside of forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Both of them have the, every right, the same right, to come to you and say, forgive me, I've sinned, and please direct my path. So I pray for them. And I pray, Father, for the parties of this country. I pray for the leaders of this country. I pray, Father, that you would still stand strong, that, you, that they would recognize that you established America as what it is, a great country based on biblical standards, and that we would come back to this, and that this is not too late for our country if we would fall on our face and repent. And so I pray that that's what our leaders would do. And I pray, Lord, that as us, as common citizens, that we would be good common citizens and that we would vote your word to the best of our ability. I declare this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen.